Hello and welcome to another edition of Pick and Pod brought to you by WFUV Sports. I'm Kelly Bright and here with me today is Andrew Posadas. And Andrew, I, we can't hide it. It's the biggest news in sports, let alone just basketball. James Harden, somebody we've spent the past uh, God knows how many months talking about where he's going to end up, finally found a home and he's coming to New York. He's coming to Brooklyn. He's going to be on the Nets. That's just out. And, and Andrew, we're going to obviously spend a lot of time talking about this on the show, but I, there's no point in me beating around the bush. Initial reaction, initial thought on this huge news coming yesterday. It's crazy to think, Kelly, because at this point, if you're an NBA superstar, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what your situation is, NBA superstars can get out of, they can leave. That's just as plain, as simple as it is. If you are an NBA superstar and you're unhappy with your situation, you can force your way out. And and that's what James Harden did. He got his wish. And for the Brooklyn Nets now, you're you're swinging for the fences. This is it. You've given up all of your depth, essentially. You don't have Dimwitty because he's out for the year with that partially torn ACL. You're, you put all your chips in. You've mortgaged the future. And now you are going to put everything on this big three. And I don't think we've seen a big three like this. I mean, some people might talk about the Miami Heat, Kevin Durant going to the Golden State Warriors. But this big three right here, if it works, I mean, I don't see anybody who can stop this team offensively. Oh, it, it's it's mind-blowing. The amount of memes and jokes I've seen all over NBA, Twitter, Instagram, you know how 2K, 2K wouldn't even let you use the Nets at this point in their game. It's just ridiculous. It's just crazy. You know, every season it seems like there's a new super team and and you don't you don't think how how could it be better? How could there be a team that's even better? And then something like this breaks. You have these three, you know, insanely talented players. And uh, we were talking before the show started, Andrew. It's funny. One of them might not even know what's happened. We still haven't. We haven't. Kyrie hasn't made a single comment on it. Yeah, I mean that's the main question. I mean, Kyrie's missed what the last four or five games due to personal reasons. Sean Marks, Steve Nash continue to kind of just walk around why Kyrie is, has been gone from the team. A lot of people are just speculating, and that's what we can do at, at this point, Kelly. Just speculate as to why he isn't with the team. But again. That recent video that came out that the NBA is investigating where he's at a party, uh, presumably it's with his father, his sister, he's dancing with the sister in the video, doesn't look good. NBA players aren't supposed to be in those type of social gatherings with with that amount of people. So again, for Kyrie, we don't know when he's coming back, but you have to think that the Nets, that Sean Marks, he didn't pull the trigger on this trade without the blessings of both KD and Kyrie. And we know that Kyrie, James, and KD all have great rapport, great relationships with the three of them. So I don't know how they're going to be able to share the ball and make it work, but if they can make it work and guys are willing to sacrifice, I mean, that team is right there with Milwaukee. They're right there with Miami, with the likes of Philly as the team to really to beat in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and Andrew, let's let's break down this deal because it did involve four teams. It wasn't just the Rockets and the Nets. So four teams, five draft picks, four draft swaps, seven players, and obviously one former MVP, which was, you know, the headline behind this whole deal. So so we have Rockets, they get Victor Oladipo, you know, Dante Exum, uh, four unprotected first round picks, 
and four unprotected first-round pick swaps. The Nets obviously bringing in James Harden. Pacers end up with Karis LeVert and a 2023 second-round pick from Houston. And finally, the Cavaliers, a team I didn't, I definitely didn't see uh, coming. They get Jared Allen and Turian Prince from the Nets. So, Andrew, looking at those four teams, which team do you think got the best deal out of this? Who do you think was the, win- the biggest winner in this trade? Is it crazy to say, Kelly, that everybody won in this trade? I mean, obviously, the, I guess the, the correct answer would be James, you get James Harden, you get a former MVP, you get one of the best players in the league, arguably the best guard in the league. I mean, the Nets have to be the winners of this trade, but I don't see any losers. When you think about it, Victor Oladipo wanted out of Indiana. He made it clear he just wasn't as boisterous and as public with it as James Harden was. But again, he goes to Houston. Houston unloads. That huge Harden contract, Victor Oladipo is an expiring contract, so he'll come off the books. So the Rockets will have some money to play with, and now they have a bunch of first-round picks. And depending on the trajectory of the Nets moving forward, those could end up being very valuable down the line. And then you think about the Pacers. Karis LeBert, that to me is the Pacers silently got themselves a guy that they can build alongside DeMontis Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon That's a smooth trio right there. And I expect the Pacers, they're going to make the playoffs and they might end up being a top five team and maybe a team that others up there, the Milwaukee's of the world, may not want to see in the second round come postseason time. And finally, the Cavs. I didn't understand this because they have Andre Drummond, but I'm seeing that there are reports that he might get moved before the trade deadline. But Jared Allen, the Cavaliers got him for essentially a second round pick that wasn't theirs to begin with. So again, If they do end up trading Drummond, you can just insert Jared Allen. I think Jared Allen and Karis LeVert, they are going to flourish in their new homes, respectively, in Indiana and Cleveland. Yeah, I I completely agree, Andrew. And and for me, look at the Pacers first. You know, not only did they get this player in Karis LeVert, who arguably maybe he's not right now at the level that Oladipo is, but he's younger and he has, I think, a lot more potential in him. But also financially, it was just a significantly better mood for Indiana. This is going to save them around $4.8 million this season, which grants them, you know, the needed flexibility at the trade deadline. It also gets them out of that luxury tax. So it's definitely, it's definitely going to help them, you know, um, they probably would have had to give Oladipo the max to keep him next year. And with Karis LeVert, his value to the Pacers over the next three, three years is higher than Oladipo's, and they're getting him for a good price. And and obviously, like you said, Karis LeVert's a great player. I think he's going to do amazing things playing alongside Malcolm Brogdon. You know, I think they're going to have a lethal pick-and-roll combination if they can get that going. And just the way that Brogdon's able to space the court, um, I, I think that's going to help Karis LeVert. And he's finally going to have that role where he's probably going to come into a starting position and have a lot more minutes, you know, something he wasn't necessarily – getting in Brooklyn besides, you know, as soon as Spencer didn't when he went down, you know, he got a few more minutes. But still, I think this is going to be a huge opportunity for him to, to develop as a player. So I think the Pacers were really this, – this was good here. It's not always easy being a small market team in this player empowerment era where players are kind of like you see with Harden are just getting to pick and choose where they go. But the Pacers, I think, made the necessary decision to remain competitive in this situation. Yeah, and just moving back to Brooklyn and the Nets now, you know, you trade away two important pieces and Levert, Jared Allen, as I mentioned, you mortgage your future with four, four first-round picks. I mean, was it 22, 24, 26, 28? 
Uh, so uh, essentially you are all in and now you're going to have to depend on the likes of, you know, DeAndre Jordan and Jeff Green. You were able to keep Joe Harris. Uh, they like Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown has given them good contributions this season. But again, you're going to have to lean on the likes of TLC, Chris Chioza. They got Landry Shamit. He hasn't been shooting the ball well, but you're hoping that he can get back to what you know he is, which is, you know, a career 40% shooter from beyond the arc. So again, the Nets had to take a risk. There's a risk to this. Yeah, you bring in James Harden and you have the best big three in basketball, bar none, at the current moment. But now, hopefully, the other guys, these role players, they end up stepping up for the Nets. Because, again, it, it's going to be championship or bust. Now that you have James Harden, there are no excuses. As long as all three of those guys stay healthy, it has to be championship or bust for that team mentality-wise. Yeah, and, and you look at this team, you know, who I've seen some comments on, on NBA Twitter and just in some articles that I've read since this news came out saying, oh, this, you know, the, the, the Brooklyn Nets got worse. And to me, that, I think that's I – don't, I don't agree with that because you look at who they have now. You've got Kevin Durant. That's, a, that's a former MVP, two-time finals MVP, 10-time All-Star, nine-time All-NBA. You've got James Harden now, 2018 MVP, eight-time All-Star, seven-time All-NBA, three-time NBA scoring leader, and then the third guy who's, I, for once in his career, the third, the third worst in, in a team of All-Stars, the 2016 NBA champion Kyrie Irving, six-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA. So you've got these three players who are just ridiculous offensive players and, and all-NBA talents and three of the most skilled scorers, not just now but in NBA history, on your roster. Now there is this question, is Kyrie going to be here? It, you know, he's, he's such a big question mark. And I think he's a key question in how successful – um, this Brooklyn Nets organization is going to be because one, you have the thing, is he going to come back? We haven't heard from him. It's been almost a week now. And, and so that's obviously a question. Second, he's now going to come into a position where he's going to be asked to share the spotlight, which he's been asked to do before, but not to this extent where he's going to be sharing with two other people where he's now that, that third fiddle in a big three, which he hasn't been asked to do. And you got to look, he, he's had issues with that before, you know, he walked away from, you know, situations in the past because he was frustrated you know he was unhappy being under the shadow of LeBron James who's the best who's the best player maybe of all time and he forced his way out of being on a defending champion team so you, you have questions with that you know sharing the spotlight Harden himself you know his whole game is based on having the ball at his fingertips you know he's run in the past two years over 3,500 ISO attempts there's only six players in the NBA who have run a thousand in that same time period. So the second most is I think 1700. So, you know, you're going to, he's going to be in a position where now he has to split time, spread the ball around and not always be ISO in every situation, which is going to be something we haven't really seen, seen him do in a while. You know, he's been largely the, the center of the Houston Rockets offense for the better part of a decade now. So there's a lot of questions and you, and you see these questions anytime you bring superstars together, but is that, a, is that a legitimate concern, Andrew, in the fact that you're going to have to have these three superstars sharing one basketball? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. But again, I think you have three guys. And fortunately for the Nets, Kyrie Irving's sabbatical isn't because he's injured. It's obviously for, for something personal. And when he does come back, you expect him to be at 100%. But when I think about it, I think James Harden, 
I think the ISO ball, that offense and why it was driven that way, it obviously came from Mike D'Antoni when he got there to Houston. I think that really was just a product of the system. I think James Harden, he, he doesn't need to be a, a guy who holds on to the ball possession in possession. I mean, he's a guy who averages over six assists for his career. He's averaged double-digit assists before he averaged 11 a few years back. So, again, he's a capable passer, and, and I don't think – I think he can be just as effective off the ball – then on the ball. So again, if Kyrie is going to be the primary ball handler, James Harden can shoot the ball from beyond the arc. He's if he cuts to the basket, you know he can draw contact better than anybody else and get to the free throw line. So I think it's going to be on head coach Steve Nash. And again, Mike D'Antoni is there with him. You know, Jock Vaughn. Those guys are going to have to help a, a rookie head coach and Steve Nash kind of put the best offensive game plan or just the best style, whether that's more up-tempo, more methodical, running sets, pick and rolls, whatever the case that may be, that's going to be on Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni, Jock Vaughn. That's going to be on that coaching staff to figure out how can we implement these guys and have them at their maximum potential, especially when all three of them are sharing the court at one time. But again, that's a great problem to have, Kelly, right? I mean, if you have three superstars – and you're wondering, oh, my God, how are we going to get them to be at 100% and give us their maximum potential? That is a great problem to have if you're a first-year head coach in Steve Nash. Oh, especially now when, when you never – you know, Kevin Durant just missed a few games for being on the protocol. You never know when you're going to be down one of those superstars. So, you know, what's, what's better than two superstars? A third one. And, and, and I think – Right, I think the time for them is right now. You know, if you look at these three players, Durant's 32, Harden's 31, Irving's 28, and, you know, his future is always in question. It's, it seems like basketball has slowly become less and less of a priority for him, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's just a reality. And all three of these players have player options at the, at the end of the 22 season. So if things don't work out this season, you know, Brooklyn could potentially – in the next few years, lose all three and then be without control over their first round picks for five years after that. So you have this question, you know, you have this question, I guess that could be asked about the whole league. Is it, which is better? Is it better to kind of preserve and, and, you know, buy into the future, buy into the process, which you see with some other teams, you know, like, like a Philadelphia, for example, or is it better to do what kind of LeBron kind of set the standard for and kind of buy in all, you know, do everything you can for that season, for those two years at a time, you know, build around a star player, give them what they want and try and try and run a championship or bus team, regardless of what the consequences could be two, three, four, maybe five years down the line. Yeah, Kelly, it's interesting because if we look back in history, I mean, let's look back at your Celtics when Paul Pierce got KG and Ray Allen to come together. That first year, they go on and they win the championship, and then they end up going to another finals after that down the line and facing the Lakers twice. And then let's think about the Miami Heat, you know, with, with the Heatles and LeBron, D. Wade, and Chris Bosh. That first year, they go to the finals. They lose to Dallas, but then they come back the next year and beat the upstart Oklahoma City Thunder with Russ KD and James Harden. So if we use history as a barometer to how big threes end up panning out, I mean, it's in the Nets' favor that they are going to be in multiple NBA finals in the next two to four year, you know, in the next two to four seasons and potentially end up with maybe one or two championships. So I, I think for the Nets, if they can make it to three finals in the next four years or so, 
and be able to maintain this core and get one or two championships out of it, then it's obviously worth it. But again, as you mentioned, on the other side of that spectrum, let's say, you know, things unravel, it doesn't work out. Kyrie asks for a trade, you know, KD, Harden, they end up opting out and going elsewhere. I mean, you can't really think that way. At that point, that's something that you're hoping you made this decision because you think the three of these guys can coexist and they can bring you multiple championships, not just one, but multiple within the next three to four years. So again, this is, this is a swing you have to take. And for the Nets, if you have a chance to add a third superstar to your team, you have to move heaven and earth to do so. And now in the Eastern Conference, it's basically our big three against everybody else in the Eastern Conference. And, and if you're Sean Marks and, and you're the, the, the Brooklyn Nets, you have to like your chances, right? Right. I mean, exactly. I mean, you look at – let's look at some other teams, like the Celtics or the 76ers. You know, you just mentioned the Celtics. These are two franchises that were supposed to be the future of the Eastern Conference. And you look – these both, both teams, you know, they have a lot of young, talented guys that they've kind of developed over time. And neither one of them has made a finals in, in, so, in the last three or four years. So, you know, you've got Jason Tatum and Joel Embiid. They're not close enough to free agency to immediately force – you know, their team's hand, their team's ownership to make moves like the way Harden has and LeBron and, and KD has even in Brooklyn the past few years. And I think that's the biggest reason why Boston still has their future first rounders and Philadelphia has all but one, but they still haven't been able to be, you know, successful when you get deep into the playoffs, which at the end of the day, you know, this is a superstar league, but it's also a team about, it's also a league about winning championships. And, and these players, you know, especially ones who haven't gotten a ring yet, like like a James Harden, you know, they, they want that ring. They're going to do whatever they can to get that ring. You know, that like I said earlier, LeBron, you know, when he went to L.A., you know, he didn't want to wait for the development of young guys. He pushed them to trade for somebody who was already established, like Anthony Davis. And the Lakers end up trading, what, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart, Lonzo Ball, literally almost every pick they had for the next five years just for Anthony Davis. But, but look how that's turned out for them. You know, you look at the top four teams in the league right now, arguably the Nets, Clippers, Bucks, and Lakers. You know, all, almost all these teams don't have much draft capital for the next few years, but it's, you know, you could argue it's worth it considering how successful they are right now. Exactly, because, Kelly, it's, it's basically a what have you done for me lately league. Like, it's, it's all about now. Can we compete for a championship now? Can we win titles now? Whatever happens five, six, seven years down the line, it, it doesn't matter because, again, think about the Toronto Raptors. They traded for Kawhi Leonard, and they got their NBA Finals. They got their championship. If the Raptors don't go back to the NBA Finals for the next 30 years, Raptors fans won't care because they have that chip. And Kawhi helped get them that, and they didn't you know, want to let go of DeMar DeRozan, but you do what you have to do to bring a star in and maximize the potential of your team. So again, for the Nets, if they're able to go to a multiple Finals and get a ring or two with this trio, I just... I don't, it just has to be worth it. It's worth it to pull the trigger and mortgage your future. And because again, five to 10 years down the line, nobody in the NBA thinks that far ahead. Everyone's thinking about now and what we can do in the present moment to win championships. So now for Brooklyn, they're the prohibitive favorite. I don't want to hear any more excuses because come postseason time, the lack of depth, it doesn't matter. Because at the end of the day, there's only one team that's going to trot out three superstars in the Eastern Conference. And that's the Brooklyn Nets. 
Right, Andrew. And, and speaking of superstars, one one player whose name I've seen a few, uh, I've seen pretty frequently in the, in the past twenty four hours, and and that's Bradley Beal. Now with with James Harden now off the market, I think a lot of teams who have been widely, you know, widely and publicly interested in Harden over the past few months, such as the Nets, the Sixers, you know, Miami, Toronto, even they, it wouldn't. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say they would also now be interested in Bradley Beal. You know. If you look at the Westbrook and Wall trade that happened, you know, before the season started, that was an attempt for both organizations to keep their best players happy. And I mean, look how it's, look how it went in Houston. And it's I, I I don't think it it doesn't look good for the Washington Wizards. You know, considering how poorly their season has gone, considering how poorly West Russell Westbrook has played. You know, he's having one of the worst one of his worst. Uh, career seasons you know he struggled offensively he's scoring 0.7 points per possession despite attempting 19.3 shots per game which is more than all but seven other players in the NBA so he he hasn't looked like himself coach Scott Brooks he's on the hot seat and all this being said Bradley Beal is playing out of his mind like he has for the past few years and that's been the biggest issue he you know he's leading the league in points per game while Bradley Beal hasn't come out and outrightly expressed, you know, wanting a trade, wanting to get out of Washington, you can see his frustration. You know, in, in a press conference last Friday, he says, quote, we can't guard a parked car, talking about Washington's defense. So, Andrew, do you see Bradley Beal staying on the Wizards within either the rest before the trade deadline or even next year? Do you see him getting out of Washington and finding a new home? I mean, let me first of all say, I, I tweeted a few days back, hashtag free Brad Beal. I mean, it, it's a, it is a shame. What, what, it's criminal. I mean, uh, you couldn't charge the franchise with anything legitimately, but it's criminal to see how they wasted not, not only Bradley Beal's, well, they're wasting his prime now, but they kind of wasted John Wall's prime. I mean, the, the most competitive they ever were was when they brought in Paul Pierce that one year and he had that game-winning jump shot off the backboard and he called game and then they got you know, a gentleman sweep in like the next round. So again, that was the apex. And, and for the Wizards, at some point, you know, you bring in Russell Westbrook, but that's only because the trade with John Wall made sense financially. That's really what it is. I don't think the Wizards in their right minds really wanted to bring in Russell Westbrook to pair with Bradley Beal. But again, as you mentioned, Beal has been so good. I thought he should have been an all-star last year. I thought he was snubbed. And this year, for, for Brad, I mean, he's looking around and seeing, hey, you know, other guys are forcing their way out of their respective situations. You know what? Sooner or later, he's going to get fed up and say, I need to go somewhere and compete for championships too. I can't waste away in the nation's capital and would a team like Miami be willing to say, hey, would Pat Riley pick up the phone? I think like a team like a Philadelphia, imagine Bradley Beal out there on the perimeter. You might have to give up Ben Simmons. But again, I think a lot of teams covet Maxi. So Maxi, if you want to mortgage your future, see if you can work around it and build a trio of, of potentially Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Bradley Beal. If Daryl if Morey could pull that off, I mean, he'd automatically be executive of the year. So again, there are some places for him to go. You know, he could go out to the West Coast. It, it depends. But I have to believe there is a long line of suitors who would love to get their hands on Bradley Beal if things go south. But at this moment, you know, Brad hasn't come out and just outrightly said, hey, I want out. He's going to play his hardest. He's going to give the Wizards what they got. But 
I mean, it's only resulted in a three and eight start. So as if they continue to play woeful and lose games, you got to think that Bradley Beal's patience is going to wear thin really quickly. Oh, completely. And, you know, you mentioned Philadelphia. If they were willing to give up Ben Simmons in a deal for Harden, you know, what makes us think that they wouldn't be able to do the same for Bradley Beal, who is literally leading the league in in most offensive categories right now. And, And you mentioned Miami and South Beach, you know, they, again, they bowed out early in the process for Harden, but they might be able to not have to give up as much to get someone like Bradley Beal who hasn't you know, been as successful for as long as hard, but he is younger and he, and he, I, I believe he might be more malleable to more, you know, diverse offenses than Harden who kind of plays more one style and two other teams. I could even see Pelicans. They have a ton of assets, you know, a pile of future first rounders, a ton of, you know, a myriad of young talents, some tradable veteran contracts. And if they could add a third star to join you know, Brandon Ingram, who was most improved player, and, and obviously Zion Williamson, who I'm still waiting for him to break out because I think he still has the potential to be at least a top 15 player in the league. You know, if you can bring in a shot creator, a shooter like Bradley Beal, I think that could be enough for New Orleans to potentially move the needle. And now I, I say this next thing cautiously because I, these poor fans have had their hopes raised and, and ruined, and, you know, their hearts crushed so many times, but I have seen reports of potentially Bradley Beal ending up with the Knicks. And I, I do think that's a stretch. And, and maybe that's just me trying to be positive for all my friends who are Knicks fans. But if, you know, Kevin Knox and uh, someone else in there, if they could, if you could throw some two like average players in, maybe some more draft picks, Dennis Smith Jr., just to complete a deal to try and get somebody like Bradley Beal in there, that would be interesting to say the least in New York don't know how possible don't know how probable that one is but but definitely a possibility Kelly I mean our producer Thomas <laughs> Aiello is saying no picks I mean they're gonna have to do we're seeing right now that the value for a star player is at least three to four first round picks on right then and there I mean Drew Holiday he got, they gave what was it the the Milwaukee Bucks gave up like three first round picks for Drew Holiday so what, you, what is Bradley Beal gonna command I, I'm thinking you're gonna have to say goodbye to Emmanuel quickly I'm sorry either him or Obi Toppin's gotta go if that trade's getting facilitated that you're talking about all the first round picks and then expiring contracts Austin Rivers or Nerlens Noel Alec Burks you're gonna have to give that up because the Wizards are gonna want flexibility themselves if the Knicks could pull it off. I wouldn't see why not. I mean, guys aren't flocking to go to New York. We don't know why. I mean, some people speculate as to why. I won't. I'll just say that players are just not excited or anxious. Guys are going to Brooklyn before they're coming, you know, to Manhattan. So to play at the Mecca. So I I can't speculate as to that. But I think that's the only way the New York Knicks, the only way they're going to get a superstar is they either have to draft one or they have to trade for one. And that hopefully sets that domino effect where they can bring other stars to New York. And finally, this franchise who, I mean, as a New Yorker, I root for. I mean, I'm a Spurs fan, you know, on my own. And, you know, you guys don't have to know why. I love Manu Ginobili. That's why. But again, <laughs> I, I'm a native New Yorker and I want to see the Knicks do good. So if they could potentially trade for a star and emerging a superstar in Bradley Beal, because he's shown that he could be a superstar. He's knocking on the door. If they can get him that might set the table 
for, you know, the Knicks to finally be revived and finally be a championship contender moving forward. Right. And, and it's kind of crazy to think about saying Knicks and championship contender in the same sentence. But, you know, this is one of the first seasons where it doesn't seem like a complete and total train wreck in the past five years. So, you know, I'm going to stay hopeful for them. But, you know, moving on to Andrew, the other big news, which kind of got overshadowed by this big Harden blockbuster deal is NBA. They just had a meeting with their players union and then the board of governors talking about strengthening and, and redefining their COVID protocols, especially with the onslaught of games that have been canceled. The NBA now postponing nine games this season so far, including eight of those coming in the past seven days. So, you know, changes needed to be made. There needed to be a conversation. They did have these conversations. And, and to me, the changes weren't too drastic, but just a few of them. Face coverings now mandatory for players on the bench at all times, except when sitting in cool-down chairs after exiting a game. Um, also required to wear those in locker rooms during strength and conditioning and while traveling with anyone outside of their household. Um, they no longer can have their extended pre-game and post-game interactions with opposing players, limited to only elbows or fist bumps while, ex quote, extended socializing. And so no post-game catching up with former teammates or friends. Um, and then, you know, just a few other things like closing off rooms to non-team guests in hotels on the road, increasing the use of masks and, and that kind of thing. So, again, no further information about fines or protocol um, restrictions as far as contact tracing and how long players um, need to be need to sit out or how that works. But they have increased um, the severity in which they're going to enforce these kind of safety, social distancing rules. And Andrew, I'm not sure if it's going to be enough uh, to help stop the the increase of cases and contact tracing issues we've seen, but I guess at least it's something. Yeah. I mean, you have to be stricter because at this point, I mean, we're seeing after games, guys are coming up to each other, dapping each other up. And again, a lot of these guys, you know, they only see their contemporaries, you know, a few times, you know, when they go on the road or they come, you know, to their house and to their home arena. So guys want to catch up. And then, you know, obviously we saw with Jason Tatum, your Celtics, you know, that game against the Wizards, him and Bradley Beal ha have a really nice exchange. They both are from St. Louis. And then Jason Tatum tests positive and Bradley Beal has to sit out because uh, of contact tracing and making sure that he doesn't, you know, test positive. So again, and then we see with Steph, uh, with not Steph Curry, excuse me, Seth Curry and the Philadelphia 76ers, he tests positive, but he's out there for the first quarter and in huddles and in timeouts, he has his mask down. He's sitting next to Joel Embiid, who then is forced to kind of sit out because of contact tracing. So again, it's that domino effect that can happen when somebody tests positive. And for the NBA, they understood that. I mean, Adam Silver, his board of executives, they understood the circumstances. We have an ongoing pandemic that hasn't slowed down and that's going to have a major impact on professional sports. So again, that's why you schedule half more than half of your 72 games in the first half of this season and why they haven't released the full schedule for the second half because they expected postponements they expected teams to have to deal and navigate through COVID-19 and I think they'll be able to make up a majority amount of these games in the second half probably in April and going into early May but again this is what you had to expect and for Adam Silver and the NBA, they are taking the necessary steps 
And if that's having to wear a mask at all times, not, you know, maybe just giving a, a quick salute to the opposing teams and just saying, hey, good game, and going back to the locker room. If you want to complete a full season and, and get through this, that's the sacrifice that players are going to have to make. And unfortunately, with this spike that we're seeing, uh, guys aren't, they haven't been as safe and they aren't following the protocols like they should. So hopefully this is something that deters them from breaking the health and safety protocols that have been set into place by the NBA. Right, Andrew. And, and like you said, I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm glad that the league made the decision to only release, you know, half the season uh, beforehand because they, I think they are going to need as much time as they can to kind of make up these games. But at the same time, it, it was inevitable that we were going to have these issues, that, that players were going to test positive, that players were going to be contact traced back to one another. So, you know, I think it's unavoidable. And at the end of the day, and I, you kind of saw this with the bubble, the teams that handle this the best, the teams that are able to avoid any drama or issues with COVID are going to be the ones who come out on top of the end. I mean, you look at the teams who have had significant issues in the past, you know, or not in the past, but recently, the Celtics, the Heat, 76ers played a game with seven, they had eight people. One of them was on crutches, you know, the Dallas Mavericks, teams that legitimately um, are, are strong contenders and, and people who are going to make an impact down the line, you know, if they continue to have these kind of issues, it could severely impact their record and, and eventually impact their seeding come playoff time. So, you know, you got to hope that they're able, that they're able to find a way to contain this the, the closer they get to the end of the season. Um, but hopefully, hopefully not, you know, we're, we're going to hope for the best. I saw a quote from an interview that Frank Vogel did and he said, quote, obviously talking about him and the rest of his Laker teammates, we want to be a team that adheres to the protocols better than the rest of the teams in the league. We want to be the best. So, you know, teams, you've heard teams come out and say, oh, they want to be the best offense. They want to be the best defense. They want to be the best in transition. And here we have the best team in the league coming out and saying, you know, we want to be better at the protocols than the other team. And, and it's you, at, at a point, it's a little comical, but at, at another point, it's sad. But the, the biggest point, I think it's just realistic. And the, the farther along we get in the season, it, you know, worst case scenario, we don't, the team, players aren't all vaccinated and, and Corona is still a very prominent issue come playoff time. You know, it is going to, in, in a way, come down to which teams handle these protocols and, and just the state of this pandemic today the best. Yeah, Kelly, I, I think back to the movie, Remember the Titans in a quote, that I love, attitude reflects leadership. Who is the leader of the Los Angeles Lakers? LeBron James. And if we know LeBron, when he's zoned in, when he's locked in, zero dark 30, and he goes off social media, he is 100% committed to playing basketball and playing for a championship. So when you have a guy like that, that just sets the standard for everyone else and how they should operate and adhere to the health and safety protocols. And I think not every team has leaders like that. So come postseason time or come towards the second half of the season, we'll see because it's not only going to be a battle of attrition and which teams stay healthy, but it's going to be a battle of which teams can stay away from COVID, stay away from any potential outbreaks. Because again, guys will have to miss multiple games. And in 72 games with 10 less games this season, Every game is that much more crucial, Kelly. So, uh, again, for the Lakers, 
you love that mindset. If you're a Lakers fan, you love what you're hearing, and, and you have to expect that the Lakers are going to be one of those teams come postseason time that's going to be fully intact, and they're going to be ready and raring to go to defend their championship. Exactly. And, and yes, with the Nets bringing in Harden, you know, their chances, at least in Vegas, uh, of winning the championship went up and, and increased, especially just bringing in another all-NBA level talent like that. But I'm not sure if the leadership they brought in, the leadership they have in that locker room is enough to be able to surpass what, uh, the, what the Los Angeles Lakers have going on, you know, going on there. It's just such a special team. And, and you saw it last season with how they were able to join together. And we've talked about it throughout the past few weeks and how they improved over the off season somehow, you know, and, and again, like you said, leadership is such a big thing in basketball, especially during such a tumultuous and uncertain time. So uh, I agree. I think, I think if LeBron can keep his team with that mindset, it's looking good for Los Angeles fans. And, and Andrew, obviously, you know, this, we're in a time in our country and not even just in basketball, but across the world where, you know, things have been challenging and, and things have, have been uncertain, but at the same time, you know, it, there's, there's glimmers of hope and it feels like we're starting to get some answers and we're starting to see, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think, I think that's what we can hold on to. You know, if anything, we just got an answer as to where James Harden is going to be. And that's a question <laughs> that we've been dealing with, dealing with for weeks. So. Yeah, and again, it's been the, the word I keep going back to is unprecedented. We haven't seen things like this in professional sports, and, and every league is going to have to navigate through a pandemic, through what's happening with racial and social justice movements. You know, the athletes have a lot of pressure on them, not only to fulfill their obligations on the court, on the field, on the ice, but off of it as well and using their platforms. So again, you love what... I guess the athletes understand now they're more than athletes. And I think they're taking that mentality and using it positively. And again, at the end of the day, we just hope that Kyrie Irving comes back and he's ready to go. We hope that James Harden gets back into shape and he loses that weight that we saw him put on. Because again, at the end of the day, uh, potential Lakers and Nets finals. I mean, think about the storylines, KD versus LeBron, LeBron versus Kyrie, James Harden, finally, back to the finals looking for his first ring for ad it's continuing to kind of cement his legacy as an all-time great and getting his second ring and for lebron obviously chasing michael jordan that's what we want so hopefully the nba its players its coaches everyone continues to take the pandemic seriously so we can complete a full regular season or a condensed 72 game season but more importantly, a full postseason because there is going to be a bunch of storylines that we will be waiting for come playoff time. Oh, completely agree, Andrew. And, you know, we've had a huge storyline this week and, and it was kind of the headline of this episode, which you're unfortunately running out of time for. But hopefully next week there'll be some more bombshell news. If not, you know, at least there'll be more basketball, right? Kelly, hold on a second. Before we go, I'd like to say this. Um, okay. Thursday, last night, I, I saw a man by the name of Damian Lillard. He dropped 40 points, 13 assists, uh, zero turnovers. First guy to ever do that since uh, the turnovers were put uh, in the stat category. And I just say that to say that the Blazers are now 7-4. and four. They're tied for third in the Western Conference. And watch out. Here comes Damian Lillard. 
I, I forget for a second, who said that Damian Lillard was going to win the MVP and that Portland was going to finish second in the West? Oh, I think that would be Mr. Andrew Posada. So, you know what? I didn't feel great opening the season when Dame only had nine points and, and the Jazz routed the Blazers by 20. But after last night's game against the Kings, I know it's just the Kings, but I love De'Aaron Fox and I, have some, I love some of that young talent they have. Damian Lillard is coming. I know CJ is – he's out of his mind, too. He's averaging 28. He's having a career. But Damian Lillard's on his way. He's going to go on a hot streak where he goes for 30 for, like, the next five or six games. I feel it. It's coming. And, Kelly, I'm telling you right now, I think I'm looking pretty good right now my MVP pick and my hot take pick about the Blazers finishing second. I – Andrew, I knew this was coming. I tried to avoid it, tried to close out the episode, but I can't knew, let you do that. I knew it was coming, but I I'll that's one good game. He still hasn't had the best season. And you know, you mentioned CJ McCollum. It's hard to be the most valuable player when you have two extremely valuable guys playing for the same team. So I still don't know about that pick. I think I and also you kind of got lucky with Harden leaving the West. I, it, that helps them out. It helps them out. But, you know, I, I still think the 76ers, you know, they've been nailed and devastated by this COVID, the COVID issues. But once they have their full team back, I still expect them to finish higher than your Trailblazers. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see. It's too early. It's too early to say. I will say the, the Sixers, despite everything, you know, they're 8-4. and four. So for people out there at home, Kelly and I have a bet. We are betting Starbucks to the winner, whoever has the better record between the Sixers. Kelly's taking the Sixers. I am taking the Blazers to finish better than them. So that's something recurring by the end of the season. We'll find out. But rest assured, I think right now I'm feeling pretty good. I know you're feeling pretty good. But, again, it's only 12 games. We still have a long ways to go. But, again, can't wait to see where both the Sixers and the Blazers end up at the end of the season. Well, Andrew, you know what? In Doc, we trust. In Doc, we trust. So, you know, we'll ha- we'll we'll convene reconvene this conversation, you know, in a few months and see where we're at. But for now, that's all the time we have for this week's edition of Pick and Pod. But you know, until then, I hope everyone continues to stay as safe and happy and healthy as possible. And hopefully, by next week, we've at least heard from Kyrie Irving and we've then seen that big three play in a basketball game, which would be super exciting. But for now, for Andrew Posadas, I'm Kelly Bright. Thanks for tuning in. Pick and Pod is a production of WFM.